0: Well, last week we studied Genesis chapter 10, so you can open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11. Now, if you were with us last week, you'll remember that we talked about the origin of the nations, or what most people would call the table of nations in Genesis chapter 10, where it kind of breaks down for us the sons of Japheth, Shem and Ham, who are, of course, the three sons of Noah, and from whom all of us are descendants. We talked about how all the people began to spread out on the whole earth. The earth was again being populated after the great flood, and to populate the earth was exactly what the Lord God had told Noah and his sons to do after the flood. But prior to the people spreading out all over the face of the earth, they were actually kind of all huddled together. They kind of all stayed together. But something happened that caused them to scatter, and that's what we're going to see here in chapter 11. So the events of chapter 11, in a sense, actually preceded what we learned about or what we talked about last week in Genesis chapter 10. But starting in verse 1, here of chapter 11 of Genesis. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. So that's very plain and clear. Everyone on the earth all spoke the same language. And that's really not hard to understand since everyone on the earth at that time came from Noah's family, right? So the language that Noah's family spoke got passed on to all of his children and grandchildren and such. Not only that, but since there was only one language, then this language must have traced all the way back to Adam and Eve as well, right? Mankind, of course, starting with Adam, was full grown and able to speak right from the start and able to communicate with God, of course. Now, of course, evolution teaches that languages have evolved, okay? They say that it started with grunts and groans and such, and then it evolved to where it is today, right? This, of course, is contrary to the Word of God and the account of creation that we see in our Bibles, okay? Now, some folks may ask, well, what was the language? What was the original language? What did they speak? Well, the Word of God does not really tell us that. It's silent on that. We are just simply told that the whole earth had one language and one speech at this point in time. And then verse 2 continues and says, And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. So again, think about this. This is amazing. But this is all the people of the earth traveling together. How many people were there on the earth at this point in time? Well, That would be difficult to really calculate, but the number of years that it has been since Noah's family got off the ark is about 339 years up till this point here. Noah was 600 years old at the time of the flood, uh, and they were on the ark for about a year, and that makes Noah 601, possibly 602, right? And then the Tower of Babel, which we will see in this chapter um, based on the lifespan given to us in Scripture, if you add up the years of the birth and the childbearing records that we have in Genesis, it would bring you up to that 339 years from the end of the flood up to the Tower of Babel, okay, which we are about to read about. Now, I came up with this number by using the genealogy given to us in Genesis from Noah on up to a man named Peleg or Peleg, right? We mentioned, we talked about him briefly last week. But the Bible says that in the days of Peleg, the earth was divided, okay? So in other words, it was during Peleg's lifetime that the people were scattered based upon their new languages. And again, I'm ahead of myself here, but we'll see in this chapter, chapter 11, that people were divided up by languages. But this man, Peleg, lived 239 years, and we're not given an exact time as to when in his life the earth was divided by languages, but it was somewhere within that 339 years after the flood that this took place. But the point that I really want to make to you here, the reason that I'm bringing all of this up to you ahead of time, is that in that 339 years after the flood, The population of the earth had probably grown quite substantially. And now these people are settling in Shinar. Some have estimated as much as 900,000 people could have been on the earth by this time in that 339 years of having children, having children, having children, right? But again, we're really not given a number here. But here in verse 2, they come to this nice flask flat spot. And they decide to settle down there and begin to build. And we will soon see that they headed in the wrong direction with their lives, with their choices in doing what they were doing here. Because verse 3 goes on to tell us, then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. Now, look, these were not dumb cavemen people that grunted and groaned, right? As evolution would have you believe our ancestors are. These were intelligent human beings created in the image of God, just like we are today. And they figured out how to make and bake bricks by drying them in the sun. And then They would use the asphalt or tar, if you will, that pulled naturally in these lakes in the Middle East and still does. The asphalt substance is also called bitumen, right? And Webster's Dictionary defines bitumen as such an asphalt of Asia Minor. Used in ancient times as a cement and mortar, various mixtures of hydrocarbons and They're non-metallic derivatives that occur naturally or are are obtained as residues after heat refining. They're natural substances such as petroleum you can get this out of, right? So they had this stuff. They had a bunch of this stuff, right? This bitumen. And they figured out how to use it. And they figured out how to build. And verse 4 says, And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So what they wanted here is not what God wanted for them, right? But here we see, again, they're headed in the wrong direction. This is what you call humanism at its best, right? Do you see what they said there? They said, let us make a name for ourselves. Think about that with some emphasis. Let us make a name for ourselves, okay? It was all about them. Now, I want to give you another definition here from the dictionary. And it's the definition of the word I just mentioned, humanism, okay? And I want you to listen to this definition uh, carefully. Humanism, it's an outlook or system of of thought attaching prime importance to to human rather than divine or supernatural matters. Humanist beliefs stress the potential value and goodness of human beings. Humanism emphasizes common human needs and seeks solely rational ways of solving human human problems. Now, why am I stressing this definition to you so much here. Why am I bringing up? Because this is the direction that they were quickly headed in, okay? And this is the way of the world in which we live in today, this world system. Prime importance or special attention is placed on human matters rather than prime importance being placed on spiritual matters. And we fix our eyes on ourselves more than we do on our God, our Creator. And the world is full today of humanistic thought and actions. When you have a a school of thought that thinks first about how mankind can solve problems on their own and have solutions apart from God, this is humanism. And we love today to lift up other people and place men and women on pedestals, right? We praise the humanitarians of today and we idolize people based on their positions. But this is not the way of the Lord, if you think it through. This is not how God desires for us to live. He wants us to instead place Him in the highest position, in everything. But with humanism, God is secondary. Man, male and female, are primary. Humanism teaches us that mankind has its own goodness. We can take care of ourselves and God can be on the sideline. No, thank you, God. We don't need you yet. Don't call us God. We'll call you when we need you. That's the society we live in. That's the world, okay? And this is what began here on the plain of Shinar, they built this city and they built this tower. This place would supply all of their needs, the needs of their body, the needs of their soul and their spiritual needs as well. They would build this tower and they would put an altar on top of it and they would, would in a sense create religion. Okay? And, and it was a religion that was apart from a relationship with God. That's what God wanted with mankind from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. He wanted to walk with the people that he created. He wanted a relationship with them, okay? Mankind would begin to go, though, here in their own direction again, and it would only take them around 340 years or so after the flood to go their own way and to go apart from a personal relationship with God and seeking Him. You see, the Bible doesn't prescribe to us a call on God when you need Him, religion. But that's what our world is. Call on God when you need Him. The Bible, though, more specifically, God's Word, let's call it, right? It it advises us, it directs us to die to ourselves. Okay, To take up the cross, to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ, and to walk in a way in which He desires for us to walk. Our Lord God didn't come to make a name for himself. Instead, he made himself of no reputation, the Bible says in Philippians chapter two. Taking on the form of a bondservant, he says, and coming in the likeness of men. Jesus was God, but he came in the likeness of men. Then Philippians two goes on to tell us that our Lord God being found in appearance as a man, think about that, God, being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So you see, we are to be crucified with Christ, as Galatians 2.20 says. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. It's Christ that lives in me, right? We We are now to walk by faith in our God and have that personal relationship and place him first above all else, right? Do you see the difference? Humanism believes in God in many cases, but humanism puts him off to the side and assigns him one day a week or two days a week at the most. Or many believe in God but don't worship him at all. And in the days of the Tower of Babel here, there was a man that took charge whose name was Nimrod. They called him Nimrod. We talked about him last week. We, we read about him in chapter 10, where he was a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And we talked about how he was a vile man. He was a hunter of men. He was a man that stood in rebellion to God, and that's what his name meant, Nimrod, rebel. rebel. And like I said, our humanistic world today loves to lift up men. We love to honor ourselves and place people in high position, right? Even today, mankind gathers in masses in our modern cities. And these cities provide places, if you think about it, that make them feel special. Places, if you think about a city, it provides everything, right? It's places to cater to your body, places to cater to your mind, places that can cater to your worship, whatever it may be, right? This is the modern day city, right? And the primary concern, concern of humanism is to make a name for yourself. But when you come to Christ, something happens. A new life begins. A life in which, yes, you're still in the world, but you're not of the world. A life in which, yes, you're still alive physically on the earth, but you're dead to your old nature. You're dead to yourself. Your primary concern is spiritual first, to seek first the kingdom of God. You begin to see the spiritual needs of not only yourself, but the needs of others around you in a spiritual sense. You you. You you want to take care of your own physical needs, of course, and the the physical needs of others. But everything has changed now when you come to Christ. And now you're focused on that relationship again. And it's not about you anymore. You honor God above all else. And you don't care about making a name for yourself. You know, in the book of James chapter 4, let's go ahead and turn there. Very familiar verses, and you may already know what I'm going to read, but James chapter 4. James chapter 4, and we're going to look down at verse 13. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such city and spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. So what we're seeing there is humanism, right? Right? God is left out of the plans. You just do what feels good to, to you, or as they say, do what your gut tells you, right? You just do what feels good to you. In verse 14 of James 4, there goes on, you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. So you see, You're not all that you think you are. We're not all that we think we are, right? God is God, and He is infinite. We are finite. The great humanitarian that comes into this world, He comes into this world with nothing, and He'll leave with nothing. And someday we will all bow at the feet of Jesus Christ. And verse 15 tells us here, Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. You see, placing the Lord first, making the Lord primary is the opposite of humanism. And when I say placing the Lord first, I really mean that there's no place for you in the equation. It's not about how you feel. It's not about what you think, your political bent and such, because when you come to Christ and you are born again, you're dead to yourself, and you are alive in Christ. And and unfortunately, even in modern-day Christianity today, we see a lot of humanism. If you look at our mega-churches that try to provide something for everyone, a way for everybody to feel good about themselves and to have everything they need. But it's not about making a name for ourselves as they did at the Tower of Babel. And what was the Lord's response to what they were doing? Let's turn back to Genesis chapter 11. In verse five here, we'll see the Lord's response to what they were doing. It says, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Now, as I was studying for this, it just struck me that we see here that the eyes of the Lord are on the things of the earth. You think he doesn't know what's going on in our world today? Do you think that he turns a blind eye to everything that's happening the abortions and all, kind, all the immorality of our day. Do you think that we'll escape the judgment of all of this? No, he knows all and he sees all. And in the case of the Tower of Babel, he had to put a stop to what they were doing. And verse six tells us, and the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. So the Lord God realizes that early civilization was headed for destruction. But even as I say that it was headed for, well, I meant to say it was headed for a quick destruction, right? But keep in mind, though, it really wasn't all that quick. It took some years to build the Tower of Babel. It took some years to build this city. It wasn't built in a day. And we're not told here how long it was before the Lord intervened. It may have been a couple of hundred years. And when you put that into perspective, you realize that our nation, the United States, is only around 239 years old. And we can't think that God isn't looking upon it and seeing what is happening over this period of time. And something else I take to heart here from verse 6 is that mankind really can do whatever they set their mind to do. Mankind has built great cities, great towers all over the world. And when our towers come crashing down, we fill the churches again. And we seek God again when what we build crumbles, right? And this is not necessarily wrong, of course, to to build, but not obeying God above all else is definitely wrong. Not first seeking God like we read about in James and saying, Lord, if it's your will, this is what we'll do. This is how we'll build, this is how we'll grow. If it's your will, Lord, but seeking Him is the key. But the Lord God says in verse seven, come let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So God, who is one God, as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit says, let us go down, and there confuse their language. This is what God did about their ignorance of Him, or their ignoring of Him, right? And verse 8 tells us that he scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. So they couldn't understand each other anymore and the earth was divided up. And that's what we talked about last week. They scattered out to all the different lands, and we've studied of the sons of Japheth and the sons of Shem and the sons of Ham and who they were and where they settled and all of that kind of stuff. Right? But for the most part, they continue to ignore God. But God knew this about man, didn't he? He knows this about him. If you look back for a moment, chapter 6, go ahead and flip back to chapter 6 briefly. In verse five, it says, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of the heart was only only evil continually. So God knows this fact about mankind and that didn't change after the flood. Wickedness, even till this day, continues to increase and increase, doesn't it? Don't we get shocked by the things we hear in the news now? The things that are happening that are just wicked? And you think, how did we ever come to this? Right? But this does not mean that there's not good in the world today as well, right? But the good that is in the world is from God. And it must be recognized as such. Humanitarian acts of kindness are good things. But we as mankind must acknowledge God in everything we do and praise God and thank God and give God the glory in everything that we do. We must not support works of evil either. And we must recognize both the good and the evil and shun the evil and strive toward the good. But again, it all starts with the Lord God always being our focal point, always being the center of it all. Everything we do every work we do, when we go out and we make a living, on whatever we do, it has to be placing him first and above all else, and then passing that on to our children, right? And and back in chapter 11 of Genesis, the people of the world quickly turned their backs on God and and being uh, reliant upon God, and they instead became very self-reliant. And we must check ourselves today as to where we are as individuals. Is it all about us? Is the way we live predicated upon making a name for ourselves? Do we live to feel good about ourselves as people or as people groups? Or are we dead to that kind of life and are we becoming more and more like Christ? And it's just popping into my mind now as I think about the early church. And I think about how the early church, how they were effective when they were scattered, when they were persecuted, and the gospel began to spread. It wasn't about just always huddling together and always building and building and building and building. That's why I'm, I'm really not big on building a church and building a place where we can all gather and we can all go get other people to keep gathering and keep gathering till we keep building up and up and out and out and building and building and building. It's really what we're seeing with the Tower of Babel, right? Instead, the body of Christ and we as individuals need to go out, scatter in a sense. I'm not saying not gather together because we should gather together like this, but I'm saying we need to infect the world around us by spreading out and spreading the gospel, taking it to our places of work and to our neighborhoods and sharing the truth about God, about Jesus with people. Because when we huddle together, there's not much good that can come out of that. Yeah, maybe we feel good about ourselves and maybe our emotional needs are being met, but the world's not being changed. The world's not being impacted, right? And now in verse 10 of chapter 11, we will see that the word of God will begin to focus on one particular people group, and that's the genealogy of Shem, okay, that we talked about last week. This will be the people that will, in a sense, call upon the name of the Lord. They will be His chosen people, far from a perfect people, but we will be able to learn what God desires us to learn in this life now as we explore the lives Of these people the line of Shem is of course the Semitic people as we talked about last week the chosen people the children of Israel the Jews okay and that's not the only Semitic people but I'm saying this is the focal point of where we'll go now in the Word of God we will see that they are often a defiant they were often a defiant people they were often a self-reliant people we will see that they commit good works and we will see that they commit bad works as we go through the Bible. The Bible doesn't hide any of that. It doesn't hide the sin of the people. Okay? They will call on God, and they will often ignore God as we study through the Bible. But again, we can learn from what we read and what we study in the Old Testament. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, the apostle Paul said, whatever things were written before. So in other words, he was speaking of these Old Testament writings that we're going to study for. He said, whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. So that's why it's important that we study it. Because through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures, we find hope we see what people did and what they shouldn't have done and what they should have done, much like we see with the Tower of Babel and much like we can look at our world today and still see that people go in this direction even still today, right? So as we, we begin to look at the people of Shem in the Old Testament, we can learn patience and we can be comforted in the fact that we do have hope. Just as the children of Israel passed through the wilderness, as we will see, we, too, are just passing through this life. And just as they had a promised land, there's a promised land for us as well. So there's a lot that we'll study and that we'll see and that we can learn from in the Old Testament. And verses 10 through 25 here will speak once again of the genealogy of Shem. But it's down in verse 25, and I'm going to jump down there, where we find Uh, verse 26 actually, where we'll find one man that that we will begin to follow through the rest of the pages of Genesis. And if you look down at verse 26, you'll see the name Abram. It says, Now Terah lived 70 years and begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran." This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor and Haran. Haran begot Lot, and Haran died before his father, Terah, in his native land, in Ur of the Chaldeans. So Abraham, or Abram as we see him here, had a brother who died and left a child behind named Lot. Then Abram, verse 29, and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, and the daughter daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. And verse 30 there about Sarai, or Sarah, right? Being barren. We'll learn much about that as we study on and we continue to go through Genesis. And verse 31, And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran and his daughter-in-law Sarai and his son Abram's wife. And they went out with them from the Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. So again, this is the people. You see the shift here? Now there's a shift. And we're going to begin to study about one people. We talked about all the people. We talked about Japheth's sons last week and Ham's sons. But now we're going to focus in on Shem's line, okay? And fast forwarding a few thousand years, we're all a part of the people of God through faith in jesus christ right and we today can learn from the scriptures that we've seen here that we are to be a people that are reliant upon god not a people that ignores god not a people that tries to make a name for ourselves and we become humanistic or we look like the world and we become just like the world right we're not supposed to be that We are here to do good works. Yes, we are here to tell people of the love of God, but we are to be a holy people, a separate people, come out of the world, a set-apart people, that is, right? And we must shine in this dark world. We must live like Christ lived, being dead to our fleshly nature, but very much alive spiritually because Christ is alive in us. So there's so much to learn and so much to grow in, but we know today that we can cast all of our cares upon the Lord. We can fall completely into His arms of grace, and that's what He wants us to do. He doesn't want us to march to the beat of our own drum. We must not build our lives without the Lord, build our cities, build our family, build everything, and then just acknowledge God once in a while. No, we must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness okay we must seek his will for our lives above all else and this is what we see they didn't do that's why i said at the tower of babel they headed in the wrong direction and it didn't take long even if it was 339 years that's not long and how many years it's been for how has it been for this country for this nation that we live in 239 years since we've been in existence and how quickly we're going the wrong way, away from God. But yet, there's a people within this nation that are the people of God, and that's us. And that's many others that are fellowshipping throughout our country as well. But the people of God can't blend in. They can't become humanistic and look like the rest of the world. There's no way you shine if you do. There's no way the gospel gets spread if you do. The gospel only gets spread when we scatter in a sense and we take it out to the people around us and we begin to live in a different way. How does all this take place? Well, we know that it's the work of the Lord within us. And we study his word, we come, we gather like this, we hear this, what do we do? Do we just close up the Bibles and... And, and just go our way and just go back to our lives? Or do we allow the word of God as we read it and as we study it to be the living word that it is and that it changes us to a, to a point where we, we do something different. We live differently. And we, we check ourselves and we say, am I accepting the world? Have I accepted the world? What about the world am I accepting? What am I allowing into my mind? What am I allowing my eyes to see? What am I allowing my ears to hear? Is this pleasing to you, God? And in every aspect of life, I can't name it all, but every aspect of our lives, is it pleasing to God? Or are we just going about our own way and building our own city and building our own towers and making a name for ourselves? That's not what the Lord wants for us and it's not what he'll have for us. And and again, as we go through the Old Testament, we'll we'll see the mistakes of people but we'll see the corrections of God. That's why the Word of God is profitable to us for instruction in righteousness, for correction, right? For rebuke at times. And the Word of God doesn't always sit well with us, does it? doesn't always make us uh, feel cozy, right? It challenges us sometimes to do something different and to live in a different way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your holy word. God, we thank you for allowing us to come together as believers in your name. Lord, this is a special time, Lord, not because of where it is or because of who we are, but because of who you are, Lord, that we can come and gather as a people that are focused on growing in the knowledge of you, And each one of us in this room is at a different place. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, and you're doing a work within each one of our hearts and minds, Lord, that we can't see about each other. But we acknowledge you today, God. We acknowledge you in our lives, in our work, and in our families, Lord, and in everything about our lives. We acknowledge you. And God, we thank you that you are faithful. Even when we're not, you have remained faithful. But Lord, I pray that we will increase, that we will have an ever-increasing faith, and that we will walk by that faith, and that we will live in a manner, Lord, that shows that we are not making a name for ourselves, but we are glorifying your name. We are lifting up your name in this earth. Let your spirit rule and reign in our lives and work within our hearts and minds. And Again, Lord, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name.